whole nature of faith has to do with the imagination. The imagination is the engine that makes it run. And that eyes of the heart is, I would say, nothing more, nothing less than the imagination. Learning to see past what the world gives us. Hello and welcome to the Imaginative Discipleship Podcast. Be transformed by the renewing of your imagination. I'm Caleb Woodbridge, your host, and I'm really excited to be kicking off an exploration of what is the imagination with Ted Turnow. Hi, Ted. Hey. <laughs> um, so, Ted, do you want to just um, introduce yourself a little bit and say uh, a bit about your background in terms of thinking and about and writing on, on pop culture and on imagination from a Christian perspective? Basically, Explain, what, what, why have I asked you <laughs> to talk about this subject? Uh, sure. My name is Ted Turneau, and uh, my wife and I live in Prague, Czech Republic, where I teach at Anglo-American University. I teach in cultural studies and media studies and religious studies and sociology of religion and social theory and stuff like that. A lot of all the cool subjects are mine. <laughs> and. Uh, and I have been fascinated, oh, ever since I was a kid with, um, with popular culture and imagination. And I'm going to turn off my email so it doesn't keep chiming at us. Um, <laughs> I, I, was just, I, I was just always into something, you know, um, whether it was tracking down a Beatles song when I was in middle school or or uh, Doctor Who when I was in seminary, or Monty Python. Um, I'm assuming most of you guys are British. There were some American, you know, things as well, and uh, and we're quite into Japanese animation and anime and things like that. But um, got a PhD in apologetics at uh, Westminster Theological Seminary, and my dissertation was on Paul Ricoeur. Uh, it, it was the title was reimagining Ricker <clears throat> popular culture as text metaphor and narrative, which tried to through engaging uh, this philosopher of language, a French philosopher of language named Paul Ricoeur, to sort of sketch out a theological approach to popular culture. And one of my seminary friends, after reading my dissertation, said, yeah, this is great stuff once you get it into a form that people could actually understand it, <laughs> idiot. So, And that became many years later, Papologetics, after you know doing stuff with a youth group that I was uh, pastoring. There it is. Yeah, I've got my copy here. I think one of the things that um, you do really well is to sort of – You've got that depth and background, but you communicate things clearly. My my wife was reading this uh, recently, and she she was uh, saying, "Oh, it's so nice, it's so clear." Uh, so I oh, think you've um, you, you, you've done that work of translation really really well. So um, well, it, uh, it so took me it took me years to sort of I had all of this theory in my head, and it really took me years of putting it into practice, talking about popular culture with high schoolers and middle schoolers to actually figure out what the cash value was of all of that theory I had. 
uh, and now I'm glad I, I'm glad I did it. Um, but so, and then after I wrote Papologetics, more recently got together with two guys uh, named E. Stephen Burnett and Jared Moore, a pastor and a, a guy who runs a website about Christian popular culture. Uh, and we did the Pop Culture Parent, which is basically Papologetics, but aimed at the developmental concerns of little kids how do you do how do you do popular cultural apologetics with little kids or with middle schoolers or with high schoolers and and uh, college students so both of those books are about how is how are we as christians supposed to think about and talk about and relate to our non-christian friends and neighbors over non-christian popular culture or what i later called uh, forming a critical uh, a critical imagination, a Christian critical imagination. It was always supposed to be part of Papologetics way back in 2012. Um, I originally meant for there to be a second part of that book on how do we create things, a creative Christian imagination. How do we create things and put them out there? Because it's not enough to just say, yeah, that show's cool, but it's got idolatry. But let's talk about it as if that ends our, <laughs> our engagement with, with culture. We ought to be, as a community, putting stuff out there. Yeah. But as I got more and more into it, uh, and, and, I, and originally, Papologetics was like 550 pages, and I sent it to, uh, I sent the manuscript to a publisher which shall remain nameless to protect the innocent. And <laughs> they sent back a rejection letter, but they said, you know what? Nobody's going nobody's to publish a 550-page book from a first-time author. Nobody does that, okay? So that's number one. Number two, you actually have two books here. You would be advised to split them and do two books. And I was like, oh, he's right. And so I split them. <clears throat> One became Papologetics, and the other I just started kind of picking at over the next 10 years, and it just grew and grew and grew. Uh, because the imagination is a wildly complicated subject, one which I don't know that the church is really all that well-versed in. I certainly wasn't. And, um, and it kind of led me on all these interesting explorations. And, uh, and so, uh, I pitched a book to, uh, or Caleb got wind of the book and said, Hmm, got to <laughs> get on top of this. And, and so now, uh, now it's due out in, uh, July, 2023, unless, unless I miss deadlines and, and the sky <laughs> falls or Jesus comes back first or something. So, yeah, that's, that's sort of where I come from. I'm, I'm sort of, um, yeah. quasi fanboy and the power of popular culture to engage the imagination is just something that really fascinates me. And the, and the religious meaning of that really mm -hmm. fascinates me. So yeah. that's sort of where I'm coming from. Yeah. This is probably a good point to sort of, uh, then explain my trajectory and how this has ended up intersecting with uh with what you're doing <laughs> sure, so sure. so so I, I think um and particularly what 
how it fits with what I'm wanting to explore on this podcast. Uh, it's interesting you, you sort of talk about the critical imagination and the creative imagination. When I was a university student, I sort of um, read The Purpose Driven Life. It sort of encouraged you to come up with your uh, a sort of mission statement type thing. And, and what I came right. up with... And it uh, can't be seashells. No seashells. <laughs> yeah, taking on board John Piper. But, um, <laughs> oh, that's right. The, Purpose Driven Life is Rick Warren, right? Yeah, yeah. Not Rick, um, oh, okay, okay. That's don't waste, waste, don't waste your life. Um, but uh, right. I read that uh, that as well, I'm sure. Um, but, but what I came up with, maybe slightly pretentiously, but it's stood me in good stead, is that I feel called to engage critically and creatively with culture for Christ and to equip other people to do the same. And yeah. so uh, I think- You've got the similar um, job description. Yeah, yeah. And uh, lots of similarities in terms of interest. Like I, I ran a um, Doctor Who podcast, Impossible Podcasts for five years from 2008 to 13. So sort of later tenants and early Smith era um <laughs> so uh uh yeah i think uh doctor who is something i've i've thought a lot about the the theological meaning of of doctor who <laughs> I, I love that t-shirt for uh for those listening on the audio it's a beatles style zebra crossing with uh the silhouettes of different doctors yeah uh so uh, including uh, including my two favorite tom baker and david Tennant is a close <laughs> second yeah um, and uh, uh, our paths that have actually crossed before. We did uh, get a random drink in Paddington Station once, uh, which was uh, funny back back in the day, just from uh, interacting on Twitter. And you were you were around when I was uh, working in London, so uh, that um, knew about you and knew that you were doing doing good stuff in in this sort of area. Uh, but yeah, and recently I've been doing stuff under the banner of um, Bigger on the Inside on my newsletter, sort of thinking about uh, imagination and discipleship. And and, and, of, and the TARDIS. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, 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 it's got the dual... Well, it's got multiple levels of meaning. There's the TARDIS, there's the, the, the wardrobe to Narnia, and then there's the way in which... Um, uh, stories are sort of bigger on the inside in terms of the the worldviews and ideas and stuff they contain. So, yeah, exploring that. But um, I think uh, one of the running threads has been uh, imaginative discipleship, and that's what the podcast is focusing on. Is slightly more more with uh, a focus on the place that imagination plays in spiritual formation because I've become increasingly interested just in the place that the imagination has in the in the Christian life more broadly. Um, mm. uh, I think there's obviously a, a apologetic value in terms of being able to engage well with culture as a way of listening. Uh, to our neighbours, loving our neighbours by listening to their stories and being able to give a good response uh, to that. Um, but I think there's also something about particularly drawing on uh, James K. Smith and his work on um, sort of the You Are What You Love and his Cultural Liturgies uh, trilogy, um, just mm -hmm. how 
how much our hearts are shaped by by the imagination and by both the stories and the the sort of rituals, the cultural liturgies that have an impact uh, um, on us. And uh, yeah, I think uh, there's lots that's interesting in that. And so I think, but yeah, while I was um, while I was sort of doing my own. Uh, thinking and writing on diff- some aspects of that. Uh, I, in my day job as IVP Publishing Director, where I do some commissioning and editing, uh, your Popologetics Part 2, the sort of oasis of imagination book, landed on my desk by your agent. And uh, I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> Ted's <laughs> light years ahead in terms of uh, you've, you, you've gone um, so much further in sort of giving um, lots of real deep thoughts to the imagination. But uh, yeah, I could see that I'm really excited about that book just in terms of, I think it's your your angle is particularly around um, that creative imagination about Christians making art, doing good art. What does that look like? Um, and I think that's wonderful and important. I hope will help be a launch pad for Lots, lots of uh, good Christian uh, creativity, but I also think there's um, ways in which the thinking you've done around imagination in a slightly more abstract way it also is a helpful springboard for going in slightly different directions, such as the sort of imagination and uh, informing then uh, questions of. Um, discipleship and formation. So I'm editing it at, at the moment. It's a it's a work in in progress. And should should we dive in into just the question of? I guess people might think um, Christian imagination, imaginative discipleship, isn't that just a bit weird and random? Isn't that just a bit of a distraction for Christians? Um, uh, there's a bit of a sense of suspicion about um, uh, a bit of a sense of suspicion about the imagination in terms of um, it's perhaps seen as something that well you don't want to get too imaginative because we're we're holding on to the truth and that's the important thing and we don't want to be making stuff up that isn't true. Uh, so right. how 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 would you sort of begin to maybe? Def- explain or define or start unpacking the imagination in a way that sort of goes, oh, actually, this is something Christians should care about? Um, <clears throat> I would say um, I would steal a line from uh, one of my co-authors, uh, Ruth Naomi Floyd. We're working on a book together. And she likes to say, before God was a redeemer, he was an artist. Mm. That is, at the very get-go of the book, of the whole Bible, God's doing creative work, right? He's a creator before he's a redeemer. And I would add, and if you take a really careful look at his redemption um, and the way Jesus wrought redemption and brought beauty out of ugliness, brought life out of death, that's a really creative act as well. it's a strange creative act because because there's so much destruction involved, like the death of God's beloved son. But out of that came life, peace, shalom, grace, all of that sort of stuff. It's um, so it, it so I would say um, 
if you don't understand the whole of the Christian faith as as an immense act of the imagination of the divine imagination, mm-hmm. then you're misunderstanding the Christian faith. If you are so afraid of the imagination that you think God did this by rote, that he was just kind of like, oh, those humans. All right, let's see what I can do. Flips through a recipe book. All right, add one Jesus and stir in some <laughs> Holy Spirit and give death. And I mean, that would, that's not how it, that's, that's, that would be kind of, you know, borderline blasphemy, which is why I'm saying it as a hypothetical you know, not mm. that I actually believe that. Um, so that's the first thing is that the um, is that imagination lies at the foundation of what it of the Christian faith of the nature of the Christian faith. Yeah, God is creator like, and creator. God is creator and redemption is creation. Redemption is imaginative. Mm-hmm. Um, imaginative revitalization, new creation is is got to be creativity, yeah. right? And that's where everything's headed. The other thing is, um, I would say that, especially in an increasingly secular world, and I know this because I live in atheist central Prague, Czech Republic, which has the reputation of being one of the most secularized cities in the world um and and london and the uk and cardiff and all of it is not that far behind Mm -hmm. right uk is a little bit different um than czech but um but we are we are definitely in a post-christian age right christianity no longer has the kind of cultural punch it once had no longer holds the sway or authority it once had and in that setting especially in that setting but in every setting in order to uh in order for faith to be healthy to apprehend the object of faith which is christ himself which is god um you've got to use imagination right mm. because last time i looked God wasn't literally an old man sitting on a cloud that you could look up and wave at and say you it, it's you it's it's seeing beyond what is seen it is faith grasping the unseen right that's hebrews faith mm-hmm. is is being sure of what we don't see and so um and so i would say the whole nature of faith has to do with the imagination in a sense, imagination is the engine that makes it run. In in the beautiful prayer that Paul gives in Ephesians three, in Ephesians three eight, he calls, you know, he says, "And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that yeah. you may know, you know, all of this wonderful stuff that you've been called to." And that eyes of the heart is, I would say, nothing more, nothing less than the imagination, learning to see past what the world gives us learning even learning to see past you know your own disappointments your own stumbling your own failures your own sins to know god still loves me there's still grace for me or seeing past your successes when you're tempted to get arrogant and saying no i'm still a sinner in need of christ's blood every day so um so i would say number one the whole christian faith is all about redemption number two 
I'm sorry, is all about imagination. And number two, you got to use imagination even to be a Christian these days, like you did in first century, you know, Roman Empire for sure. Um, and um, and I would say number three, a failure of imagination, lack of imagination in Christians tends to result on a col- kind of religion that's folded in on itself that mm-hmm. majors on the minors that looks at haircuts and says that's a christian and that's not rather than the texture of the whole life why because imagination is so important for developing empathy for people who are very different than you um it's important for understanding that the world could be different and so it's it's foundational for hope it's foundational for resistance to social injustice or racism or any of these things if you give that up then you're just like you're just you're just kind of passing the time you're just like hunkered down and saying okay i'm going to be faithful just tell me when it's over you know tell wake me up when they carry me out in the casket I'll do my best to pass on my faith to my loved ones and to my children and grandchildren, but um, don't get me mixed up in any of that craziness. Imagination yeah. is, a, is a call to the craziness <laughs> and a call to uh, engage it with a confidence that doesn't shrink back the way that a lot of Christians tend to do. Yeah, um, it's a very different understanding of faith to the sort of um, there's the classic critique um, from Marx and so on of religion being the the opiate of the people. It's a sort of escape from the harsh realities, and so the imaginative side is mere escapism. And mm. I think there can be something in that for certain types of Christianity for certain theologies that have lost sight of perhaps the transforming impact that the Christian faith should have on on this world. Because I think if you are just uh, sitting around waiting to be um, sort of raptured away to heaven as somewhere else type thing, then there is something missing there in terms of of, of that new creation hope that God is redeeming and restoring this. And, and so that's, right. that, um, that's really important in terms of making sure that we're connecting Christ's redemptive work to the whole of life and to, um, to the world as it is now. Right. And, and that, I, I think, one of the things that's really kind of impressed me and, and popped out to me when I was doing research for this book is how closely tied imagination is to eschatology mm. to the to the the doctrine of the last things because i'm reading this book which i i wish i had read like five years ago but it didn't exist five years ago um by jim davies just called imagination which kind of goes through the the um neuroscience of imagination mm. it's really an education in itself not a christian but just saying this is what we know about the way the brain processes information and how you turn visual information into these categories and abstract things and meaning. And and what he says at the very beginning is that the imagination is sort of anticipatory. It's Mm. it's sort of 
gives you uh, a view of the way of what you expect or of what you're expecting of mm-hmm. your hopes, your, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And it seems to me that if you've got a lousy eschatology, that is, if your hopes for the future is that God's going to pluck you out of this earth and take you to a fluffy, cloudy heaven where you will pay, play a harp <laughs> forever and ever, um, and, and kind of detach yourself from this world, then that's going to introduce a sort of imaginative stagnation uh, and mm. and a sort of a, it's a it's a positive disincentive for engaging the world with any sort of imagination. And, and and for that sort of eschatology, Marx actually may be right. They There may be a bunch of Christians who are just like, oh, get me out of here. I, my life may really be hard now, but at least I've got this pie in the sky by and by that if I'm a good little boy or girl and I and I, I, I don't rock the boat, then, um, then uh, I will certainly be plucked away, and 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 yeah. Jesus will will take me. If you've got the kind of an imagination that is very grounded in an eschatology that says, no, 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 God's going to come and renew this world, so that that what we do here now matters, then uh, it's not pie in the sky by and by. It's pie that's baking right here right now and i'm in the middle of it and therefore if i see something wrong with the pie i need to go and address that right i can't shrink back and say oh well later it'll be all be fixed it's like no 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 this is this is what this um this very well may carry on into the new creation i i really like ali gordon's um artist ali gordon's a phrase about art being windows to the new creation, you know, yeah. that the artist's job is to clear those windows. I think that's everybody's job in one way <laughs> or another. I think artists do it in a particularly visual, vivid, auditory, sensual way that yeah. I love. Um, but it's, it's all about, so, it's all about the, it's all about which future you're tied to, which is what shapes the hope that your imagination engages in. Yeah. If that makes sense. Uh, yeah, I think that's great. Um, uh, I love Valley's book, uh, Why Art Matters, also available from uh, IVP. So <laughs> obligatory plug. Uh, but um, <laughs> yeah, I, th- I, I, I think um, uh, how we think about the future is a good example. And yeah, um, this is perhaps a good worked example in terms of fleshing out what you say when actually we need imagination in order to have faith because um, if you sort of strip imagination back, if you give a sort of fairly technical definition, it's sort of that ability to hold things that aren't immediately present to the senses in in our mind. And so it's the whole thing of faith is the assurance of um, things uh, unseen. unseen, things hoped for. And so before we can even believe or disbelieve something, we need to be able to hold it in our minds, to be able to imagine it in order to have grasped it and understood it. And so right. um, imagination is that first first step of, of, of understanding something. 
out of which then arises the possibility of uh, of faith of believing <laughs> believing that thing of setting setting your your heart on on that uh, on that thing and that's yeah. true also of our present relationship with God because we do live in that now not yet if we've we've got God's spirit in us but we don't see Jesus face to face as um, we will then so there's a sense in which we we need to be able to imagine Jesus and that doesn't mean we're fooling ourselves but in the same way that we um when we're apart from a loved one and we um we might read a letter or sort of engage with them through a um a phone call or video where where our imagination allows us to sort of make them more fully present to us and is actually the case by the senses um and when that's reflective of some reality then that's not just a illusion or fantasy that's actually building a bridge it's making a, a connection yeah yeah and the imagination is all about bridges all about making connections um another thing that the that that lacking imagination will create in the church is i think a, a really um a kind of a, a cruelty almost a, a lack of compassion for mm. people who are different because imagination is essential for empathy, right? Um, what does it mean? How does it feel to be, let's say a homosexual person who's fighting desires that they're not able to control fully and they've made their life a mess or maybe they're very successful, you know, and and uh, and how, how do I relate to that person? How do I relate to a person who's dyed his hair blue and <laughs> and is wearing all sorts of outlandish, you know, things, uh, outlandish clothes, and and how do I how do I um, relate to him as I must as a Christian because he's because they're made in the image of God. They still have this inherent dignity and worth. Um, when I was in high school, I was heavily into Pink Floyd. That was, <laughs> that was sort of my band. And, um, and in the, in the wall, if you remember towards the end, Roger Waters sings about, you know, the bleeding hearts and the bleeding hearts and artists kind of, kind mm. of marching up and uh, up and down in front of his wall that he's constructed brick by brick. And that's the whole tragic metaphor of the, of the wall. <clears throat> and, um, and I, I mean, I, I don't take my theological cues from Roger Waters necessarily, <laughs> but, um, but this idea that, that um, artistic creativity is somehow connected to a heart that bleeds for other people, a heart that is open and and uh, and feels other people's pain and is sensitive to their needs and can speak into their situation with insight and winsomeness. Um, I think that's that's really suggestive that imagination is necessary if you're going to love someone who's different from you. It doesn't take imagination to love a person who's just like me because we already vibe. We already have mm. a thing. Um, it takes a lot of, uh, it takes more 
patients, uh, patient imaginative work to relate to that trans kid in my class who is dealing with all sorts of, all sorts of emotional stuff. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, there, it, it just gets you into, it gets you into very murky water and asks you to navigate that murky water in love for the person that you're relating to. I'm sorry. There's a siren going by. I don't know if you can hear that. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, and I, and I think, I think evangelicals don't like murky waters. They yeah. don't like difficult, messy, uh, potentially painful things that require patience and don't have a really cut and dried how to. Right. Um, yeah, I think um, good art embraces the sort of complexities of of life and of particular people and their situations in a and way. And a fallen that, existence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, on the other hand, I think um, bad art and there's often the temptation uh, for um, sort of self-consciously Christian art to fall into this trap is to try and make everything overly overly tidy the sort of uh the the simple white hats and black hats and it yep. sort of shuts down empathy by sort of um simplifying or demonizing or stereotyping another rather than um giving the complexity of helping us understand uh people who are different from us but also sh share so much in terms of shared shared humanity in the in the image of god in us all yeah there there was um i did an interview for the book with an actress who asked to be remain nameless uh because some people in hollywood freak out at the at the name christian and she was in a christian film that was sort of a like a date night gone wrong and you know the, the house is on fire and the kids are in danger and and the car crashes and and they and and she's just getting more and more stressed as the movie goes on and then there's this sort of moment of clarity in which this tattooed biker dude who's not a christian was raised christian but but isn't a christian comes in and sort of gives wisdom and says look I was raised Christian. I'm not Christian anymore, but aren't you guys supposed to like trust God and lean into his providence and not freak out so much or something like that? I can't remember exactly the details, but he ends up giving, I mean, it's, it's sort of this cheesy, you know, <laughs> okay, here's the moral, here's the lesson. But she had to fight the movie studio in order to have those words spoken by a non-Christian, because of course only Christians have wisdom, <laughs> and we all know that. There was a there was another um, there was a blog I read, and this I think did make it into the book, where um, where this uh, this screenwriter for one of the big or one of the big uh, one of the major Christian movie studios wrote a uh, wrote a a screenplay which got made into a movie um, and 
in it, there are, you know, different Christians and they have their different foibles. Mm -hmm. And one woman in particular has, is a real gossip and real critical, condescending, sort of just an unpleasant person. And it's sort of a comedy of comedy of manners and she gets her comeuppance and whatever. But um, after that, because it didn't test well with Christian audiences, the, the producers uh, of the studio made a blanket rule. No longer shall we have Christian characters written that have any character flaws, <laughs> only good things. Christians can only be, have virtues. None of that. And I'm like, okay, that may test well because it's a security blanket for us. We like to see yeah. ourselves or our tribe looking good, but that's not, that's not at all realistic to the messiness. I mean, ask any pastor if there are, sinners within your church with it where whether there are people who struggle with different sins that are really annoying within your church well there's, a, there's a there's a sort of um yeah dis dishonesty about that it's it's not truthful to um the way the world is it's not truthful to um sort of biblical t teachings about um there's no one righteous not even one that we all have that um conflict uh within us even as as we're redeemed as christians we're still well uh, lo locked and, in and it's a, with sin. it's a it's a betrayal of the christian faith in that it does a very clever grace ectomy mm. <clears throat> and removes oh, yeah. the necessity for grace from the center of the christian faith and where you have a graceless christianity you will have an oversimplified uh, vision of life that lacks imagination and has no tolerance for mess. Now, mm. I wouldn't say let's go all the way to the other side and let's just allow mess to the nth degree, right? There is a call to discipleship for following after Jesus. But I don't know about you or your listeners but for me, that looks like, you know, stumbling steps and slow. That, mm. that looks like three steps forward, two steps back, four steps backward, two steps forward. Um, and, uh, and if we don't serve a gracious God, I'm, my goose is cooked, right? <laughs> yeah. And so, go ahead. Yeah. So just, just to push it. Um, so we've talked about how it how it can go wrong or be done done badly. Are, are there some examples of um, how imagination has helped you in your um, in your Christian walk in your growth as a as a disciple? Um, can you think of um, whether it's stories or music or other works work, works of art um or maybe particular practices that have gone oh yeah this 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 is this is in in some way helped me and uh renewed me in my faith and helped me help me grow um so as i have aged i have had to take up uh some exercise or else i just grow horizontally <laughs> at an alarming rate. So uh, every morning, with the exception of maybe the weekends, um, I go out for a walk, 30, 40 minute 
walk with my with my little uh with my little they've got rubber tips on them but they're basically ski poles you know it's called alpine walking here in in czech republic and uh i will use that as a chance to uh to pray and i'll i'll start off with the lord's prayer and then i will go into some praise you know just choose an aspect of god and praise him for it and that sounds like normal every day yeah this is what you do but it's amazingly hard for somebody who's grown up as a christian to to have my imagination gripped by mm. something about god because i'm i'm like heard it you know bought the t-shirt been around it for years and years and years uh, and so and so the beginning of my prayers is always sort of an imaginative struggle how can i praise god for his eternity in a way that um that will please him and that will remind me of how great he is how can i how how can i get to his glory how can i get to his justice how can i get to his love how can i get to his goodness and what sort of images can i draw upon and that's hard imaginative work and and one of the things that I, i'm hoping i'm hopeful that this is training my imagination because one of the things that i keep bumping up against is my absolute poverty of imagination when I'm doing that, you know, it's, it's like, I'm, sp I'm speaking with a stammering tongue. I don't, you know, there's, it's, it's very different than writing an analytical piece. It's just, um, I'm not naturally given to poetry. Mm. Um, and, and what, um, so what, what I'm looking for are pieces of art that'll, that will help me, that will give me, ammo to fire yeah. heavenward um in my praises um not that but see that here's the thing there is so much christian popular culture that is so steeped in cheese and cliche <laughs> yeah. that it poisons the well right so um uh, and I, and i don't want to i don't want to rag on viewers who are um who you know they just listen to ccm all day long they listen to the contemporary christian music stations or or whatever and they find great solace in that i don't want to come down too hard on them um i, I want to come down on them a little bit but i don't want to come down too hard on them but what i'm looking for 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 a tired imagination like mine what i'm looking for is something that comes out of the blue and grabs me by the shirt collar and just shakes me just kind of wake up <laughs> and and i'm like oh what was that what was that because i've because i there are certain trails my mind has gone down when it deals with god that are just that i've gone down a hundred thousand times before i need somebody you know good preaching does this good a good preacher tells you what you sort of already know but tells it boomerang style kind of throws it past you and you're like what and then it hits you in the back of your head and you're like wow <laughs> yeah. um that that kind of imaginative indirection that that 
yeah it can come with a good story or or whatever let me um, yeah c.s lewis you talked about um with the narnia books how uh, it allowed him to sneak past the watchful dragons uh of over familiarity and i think it's interesting because there's probably um the, the same imaginative indirection is needed both to um uh get past Christian's over familiarity, but also to bridge the complete lack of familiarity with or the faux familiarity. Yeah. Um, that secular, uh, people have where, um, they've either got, um, no, no understanding or sort of negative preconceptions. And, um, and so so in, in, so in the in the sense of F A U X and F O E, both. Um, but in both in both those cases, that um, that boomerang <laughs> it, yeah. um, indirection is is needed to be able to uh, let the truth um, uh, sneak around and sort of whack you over the head with with its beauty and with its something striking. Um, and the wonderful thing about art and the way art informs the imagination, um, I, I don't, I mean, for those who will read the book, I don't agree with Jamie Smith on everything, <laughs> yeah. um, but I do think that there is a powerful way that um, that imagination is formed that's pre-verbal, that's pre-cognitive, that sets you down in something that's not easy to articulate. Um, so, um, a couple of stories, um, one is, uh, we do movie nights, movie discussion nights Mm. at my house and, uh, and one movie we saw long, long time ago, about 15, 17 students were at our house and it was, uh, it was called a love song for Bobby Long. A, nobody knows this movie. John Travolta, early ScarJo, and uh, Scarlett Johansson plays this young woman whose mother dies, and uh, who and she goes to New Orleans to claim this house that she's inherited, and finds that there's squatters there, a couple of guys or three guys who are living there, and they instead of you know calling the police and kicking them out, they form this kind of idiosyncratic community and. One of the leading uh, homeless guys is a guy named Bobby Long, played by John Travolta, who used to be an English professor at Tulane University, but because he was an alcoholic and had a predilection for uh, romantic sexual trysts with his students, um, caused scandal. His his son was supposed to walk home from baseball practice, and he was supposed to pick him up, but he was with a student, um, and so this so the kid walked home himself and got hit by a car and died, and that cost him his job and his marriage, and and he's now a ruined person. And um, and after this film, I said to my students, "Do you see why Christians would want to reserve?" sex for a committed married relationship and the response was fury like i 
could have thrown a hand grenade and got a less violent response. Everybody was like on me at once. Like how, how, how you're such a dinosaur. Blah, 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 blah. How dare <laughs> you? What about friends with benefits? What about, blah, blah, blah. and there were a couple of other Christians there and they kind of sunk down in their seats and were like, <laughs> you got yourself into this buddy. We're not coming to your rescue. And it was not what I call a productive discussion. Um, so I kind of, filed that away and thought about it. And then the next semester we did, um, we did a smaller group called uh, a, a sort of a, a discussion series, which we did fortnightly called meaning of, and we did, we'd have, we'd have a sit down dinner and then we'd talk about, we'd do a little reading and we'd talk about the meaning of meaning or the meaning of work or the meaning of recreation. And one of them was the meaning of, uh, of sex and romance and marriage or sex and romance and love. Mm. And I, I, um, showed a movie, 90 minute movie by my favorite European director, uh, Krzysztof Kieślowski called a short film about love. Um, which, I think is one of the most powerful presentations of the reality of a spiritual aspect to love that it's not just about sex. Mm -hmm. Um, and if any of your, if any of your listeners, uh, have, have, uh, watched it, I mean, it's not an easy movie to watch and, and it's a little complicated because Kieślowski didn't say he was a Christian, but he brings a lot of, Christian sensibilities, and I would argue a Christian imagination into this, into this, um, this very kind of this story about a very messed up young man who's in love with a neighbor who lives across the way, spies on her, and um, and she finds out, and and she tries to convince him that um, that love is simply sex. Right. And, uh, you know, I can't do this without spoiling the movie and I don't want to do that, <laughs> but, um, but I showed this movie in, in which Kishlovsky's very strongly, um, implies there is a lot more going on to love and it's so easy to betray love. And after that, I said, okay, so. What did you guys think of the movie? What do you think it says about sex and love? Can you understand maybe why Christians would want to keep sex in marriage? And the reaction was completely different because they had had to sit in the presence of a young man who's struggling to figure out love and this cynical woman mm. who's trying to destroy his belief in love. And, and all of a sudden it was, it was a, it was just a very, um, they were forced to deal with the meaning of sex and the meaning of love in a way they never had to before. Yeah. Which is, uh, which I think is, is an amazing testimony to the power of a Christian imagination. Um, the second story is uh, last, this past summer, like um, a month or so ago. I did, I was in Amherst, Massachusetts, 
<laughs> and I was asked by a, a local Christian group, an apologetics ministry called Vertical 101. <laughs> and they wanted, they asked if I could do a series of talks about imagination and, uh, and creative cultural engagement. Yeah, and so I did my talks and it was also online. There were some people joining us, including a pastor in a church that we were going to be visiting later on. And, um, and he texted me on my phone, on my mobile phone and said, yeah, I really liked the first couple of talks and I liked your third talk, but your examples, I just didn't find them helpful at all. Cause I did some case studies. Um, I played some 21 pilots for them. And if you, if you don't know 21 pilots, uh, they're Christian, but they don't, they don't, um, record on a Christian label and they're, and their fan base is predominantly, I would say, non-Christians. Um, and yes. uh, so it's, it's uh, musicians. Is, is that a band, or I've not come across them? You've not come across Twenty One Pilots? No, Caleb. Oh. <laughs> I'll check. Um, I'll check them. They out. are okay. Okay. To be fair, to be fair, I didn't know about them either. I used to once upon a time teach at Union School of Theology in yeah, yeah. Bridgend. Wales. And one of my assignments there was, uh, I taught a, a module there called, um, called popular culture and Christian worldview. And one of the assignments was, uh, I would, I, I presented what I thought was a, a, a normative vision for what Christian creative cultural engagement and imagination should be. And then I said, go find one of these and write up an analysis, you know, yeah four or five pages. And so I, and so basically I would send, you know, every, every other year when I taught there, I would send out my minions and they would go <laughs> scour the landscape and they would bring me back things. And uh, 21 <laughs> pilots was one of those, but 21 pilots is, is likely the biggest band you've never heard of. They've got a huge fan base and Tyler Joseph, who is the, um, who is the singer songwriter. He, he writes yeah, the yeah. songs. I, I'm, I'm looking, um, look, looking them up now on my iPad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, their their YouTube videos have got bajillion hits and so forth. Um, but Tyler Joseph kind of came up in this big mega church in Ohio. Um, and he and Josh Dunn, who's the drummer, just start creating this music. And uh, Tyler struggles with anxiety and depression. And so a lot of his songs have to do about that. That's been a, a, a major focus mm. of their songs. And it's not, it, and, and their aesthetic is not easy listening. It's not CCM. It's kind of disturbing. It sort of shakes you by the, by the shirt collar, like I was talking about. Um, and, uh, and so this pastor was saying, I, I didn't find those, those, uh, I didn't find those examples very helpful at all. And I was like, Oh great. I'm going to go. And I was scheduled to do a, a shortened version of the talk at his church later. So I was like, great. I'm going to have to sit and listen to uh, an older pastor lecture me about the evils of popular culture again. <laughs> and, um, but I didn't hear from him. And then we finally got to, to this, this little church outside of Charlottesville 
and I did my talk and then we got to the case studies where I were going to talk through some examples. And I said, is it okay if I play 21 pilots looking at the pastor? And he said, yeah, please. I was like, that's odd. Why, why <laughs> is he saying that? And so I played some and the, and the people in the church were like, had different reactions. And then the pastor spoke and he said, look, 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 I want to tell you what God's been doing. I went to spend some time with a, with a young woman who is struggling. And this guy's got a huge pastor's heart, super, super duper mm -hmm. compassionate. I went to spend some time with this young woman who has, who's struggling with anxiety and depression. And we just got to talking. I said, so what are you listening to? And she said, 21 pilots. And he was like, really? Can you help me understand what it is that you see in that music? Because I have a hard time. And she said, well, when I listen to their music, I understand that they're down here with me. Mm. That they get me. They understand. In other words, they're... Um, they're being incarnational yeah, in a yeah. sense, right? Jesus didn't say, didn't stay up in heaven and say, you guys work it out yourself. He came down and in flesh and undertook the struggle of being human. Well, Tyler Joseph, who knows intimately these struggles, you know, creates art, which says, yeah, yeah, I'm one of you. I get it. You're, you're, you're feeling messed up but let me give you something to encourage you and to bring forth to kind of uh, underscore the struggle that I know that we share. So, and, and that was hugely encouraging to me. I mean, I'm, I wouldn't call myself a 21 pilots fan, but I, I definitely appreciate them. And, yeah. uh, and when we're on long road trips, they're going in the, the CD player. <laughs> <clears throat> so um yeah so yeah i don't know if that answered your question about how do i i i'm i'm trying to i'm in my prayer life because prayer takes imagination yeah yeah i'm trying to incorporate imagination into my prayer life i'm but i'm also trying to incorporate it in how we do movie nights um and i'm always always on the lookout for Christian art that's going to slap me up back, backside of the head, right? It's it's going to boomerang me. Um, there's there is precious little out there, but there but there is some, yeah, and yeah. it's better than when I was growing up in the church where everybody had to have you know so many JPMs, Jesus's per minute, <laughs> if your song was going to be considered a really you know Christian song. Yeah. So, um, so I would, I would say to your listeners, go out and find the good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Great. No, no I'll, I'll definitely check out. Um, uh, I've, I've added those to, um, uh, my, my music library. So I'll, I'll get, I'll give, um, 21 pilots a listen. I think, um, just to mention a couple of, um, that, um, that, I've appreciated. I think 
Um, my wife and I found that um, Andrew Peterson's music really helped us through the sort of dark winter of uh, lockdown, sort of um, winter before mm. last, in terms of he is fairly explicitly Christian, but in a way that's kind of rougher around the edges and uh, a bit more raw than, uh, I think, mainstream um, uh, Christian contemporary music usually is. Um, and then another that we really appreciate um, is um, the Grey Havens. Come across? No, uh, uh, are they a, are they sort of a folk band? Yeah, a sort of folk duo. Okay, um, but um, uh, they've got um, the thing I like about them is that um, they're very um, narrative led, and although they're sort of Christian themes, they're very they're rarely. Um, it's um they rarely will directly use jesus or theological terms or sort of uh obviously it's very sort of um metaphorical or allegorical or uh other stuff in terms of how they approach things but it's got a real um sort of beauty to it lots of sort of inklings references woven into the, the yeah, songs yeah. sort of drawing a lot on sort of um i think i think somebody did a paper on that so yeah. i have heard them so um, um so yeah I, uh, I, I think they um they're really nice just in terms of yeah it's it is a bit more indirect but there's a real beauty to the way they appro- approach things um yeah, yeah. Um, so half alive is also really good oh yeah um and i ought to give a, a shout out um i really enjoyed um josh matthews uh, EP, what's it called? Progress Nonetheless, mm-hmm. which is sort of his take on Pilgrim's Progress. Yeah. And um, and I, I, I should note for uh, just honesty in advertising that, um, that Ewan, who produced the record, was one of my students at Union. So <laughs> yeah. sort of it's, it's a little bit of nepotism. But it's really a fine album, and and Josh has just a great. Uh, he's a he's got a great sense of musicianship, and got a great voice. Mm. So, uh, great. Well, I think we better start drawing things to uh, a close. But um, yeah, that's um, some great great thoughts, and um, yeah, just uh, maybe if we can round round things off by. Um, looking looking ahead to um oasis of imagination so that's coming july next year um but um yeah what what would you what's your real prayer for um for the life of the church and the sort of impact that you you hope your your book will help have what what you want to see catalyzed um if I had a magic wand <laughs> I could sweep it over the church in both the UK and the US and beyond, I would like to see sort of a reset of evangelicals thinking about cultural engagement and the imagination. Um, instead of being so invested in the culture wars or so invested in creating safe spaces for us and our children that we would be engaged in our culture in a way that's creative and healthy and Mm -hmm. allows for mess and grace and all the stuff we were talking about 
<clears throat> I would like to see, uh, I would like to see the conservative Christian church. I mean, theologically conservative, not necessarily politically conservative. Americans will know what I mean. Um, <laughs> I would like to see them understand the imagination better than before. Um, one of the one of the the central metaphors of this book that's coming out is the oasis that is creative works that that uh, that Christians can plant that will open up a breathable space that allow non-Christians and Christians to come in and enjoy and that resonates with their imaginations and challenges them and gives them a space to, to talk and wrestle through, you know, basically, you know, fan activity. <laughs> yeah. um, and, um, and I would like to see the Christian church create conditions where people can come up and um, artistically gifted people can come up and start planting those. But I don't think that that, that support of Christian artists exists just yet. Mm -hmm. I mean, it does in some places, in some isolated pockets. There are, a couple, there are some churches in the UK that do a good job at this, a rather good job. But, there, but the majority, I would say, of both the US and the UK church doesn't. Um, and what that does is it alienates the talent, talented people who could be, should be doing most to encourage Christians in spiritual formation, imaginative spiritual formation, um, in bridging, uh, you know, bridging, making bridges to non-Christians, all of that sort of stuff. Um, so for instance, uh, in 21 pilots, Tyler Joseph has been struggling in his faith. Like he mm. early on in his career, uh, it felt like he was much more convinced as a Christian and as his career has progressed and as he's been touring and as he's continued to struggle with anxiety and depression, he's been he still calls himself a Christian, but he struggles with what that means and, um, and struggles with how he perceives God not to have shown up in his struggle and all of those things, which says to me that there is a gap in his pastoral life. Like, I, I don't know his church situation, but I would imagine if he's touring as much as he is, he's not getting to church and nobody's making church come to him. And he is and, and an artist on the road is isolated. And um, so, and, and is under creative strain and what are you going to produce for me now? And, and is this show going to be as good as the last show? And, and all of that. Um, I would like to see the church become far more intentional about resourcing and supporting Christian artists um, because they're the people who are resourcing us in terms of spiritual yeah. formation, in terms of making these missional bridges. Uh, yeah. So, and my, my real, so all of those things, I would like to see that I would like to see a discussion started 
in a lot of churches. If my book is a success, people will be talking about this stuff and and hopefully um, changes will come about that I think will set us up better in the second half of the 21st century than we have been in the first half. Yeah, great stuff. Yeah, no, I, um, I hope and pray that uh, it can help um, move that along. I think there are some uh, green shoots of um, different things going on. I know that um, there's the Morphe network and there's uh, things relating to Hutchmeat and there's um, uh, Sputnik network and others. But yeah, it's very patchy. It's very easy to be quite distant from those. And uh, if you are a uh, artistically inclined uh, Christian, um, sort of to to fall through the cracks in terms of getting meaningful support. And I think um, uh, that's um, that's to the loss both for, for those individuals, but also for the wider church in terms of ben- benefiting from the creative gifts that God has given many people among us. So, uh, yeah. yeah. And even, even artistically inclined people who are not professional artists, but want to be involved in the lives of artists. Mm. Um, uh, yeah. I, so Morphe's great. Hutchmoot's great. They're both not churches. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would, I would love to see the church as church be a network, um, that, that, uh, that Morphe can be doing consulting work with, you know, mm. but, um, but I, I think, yeah. And, and the guys at Morphe say the same thing. Don't, Artists, if you're getting frustrated with the church, don't leave the church because <laughs> you get detached from the church and all of a sudden, you know, your faith becomes very abstract and and kind of this empty signifier that doesn't mean much anymore. Hmm. So uh, anyway, that's yeah. that's what I'd like to see happen. Yeah, it's um, it, it's it, it's trying to um, translate it into a movement that embeds itself into the organic life of the the everyday church rather than just being something that's happening in these networks on the, on the sort of fringes. Yeah. And I think as that happens, as that those relationships happen, I think you will find evangelicals becoming less afraid of the imagination and more champions of the imagination. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, um, that's my theory. <laughs> thanks very much, Ted. Um, yeah. Uh, so, uh, and thanks to our listeners, especially if you've uh, listened all the way uh, uh, to the end. I hope this has been a um, a, a positive discussion, and it'd be be great to hear your uh, your thoughts, whether in uh, comments uh, below if you're watching us on video, or um, uh, leaving a comment on the um, the website. Um, uh, biggerinside.co.uk in the imaginative discipleship section or indeed um uh on on uh hitting up on on social and uh so on with with your thoughts and comments I'd love to hear about your experiences uh whether this is something that's happening for you and um yeah just uh how how we can be better building this movement of of imaginative discipleship of imaginative engagement as Christians. Um, so I hope this podcast can be be part of that as well. Um, so and feel uh, free to hit me up on Twitter. 
Yes. It's well, just my name. Uh, and uh, I think I might have been uh, mispronouncing it. It's uh, You said it, uh, I said Ted Turn now. Is it Ted Turn? What, what was it? I, I answered to both. Okay. I answered to both. <laughs> I was I was raised with Ted Turneau. Turneau, okay. Uh, but in the Czech Republic, if I say that, they misspell my name, so I have to go Ted Turneau. <laughs> okay, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll try and remember that and uh, <laughs> uh, get, get, get it accurate to your family family pronunciation uh great uh good stuff well thank you so much for your time ted it's been uh really fun to um yeah explore these things with you and um uh yeah god bless you with uh with your writing and um uh, perhaps we can uh get you back on again and uh, i'm sure i'll be inviting Ruth naomi floyd who's um uh got um He's working on the Imagination Manifesto with you um, and has many amazing uh, stories and experiences and insights of her own to share. So uh, I'm sure she'll be yep. a great guest to have at some point in future. So uh, It has been a privilege, Caleb. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. You've been listening to Imaginative Discipleship, an independent personal project by me, Caleb Woodbridge. If you'd like to become a supporter of what I'm doing, please visit biggerinside.co.uk where you can become a free or even paid subscriber to both Imaginative Discipleship and to Bigger on the Inside, my email newsletter of faith, story and imagination. Please listen, subscribe and review this show on iTunes, Spotify or your podcast app of choice or watch online by subscribing to the Imaginative Discipleship YouTube channel. Thanks for listening and enjoy the adventure of discipleship.